When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat-treating ovens available. Find your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. To the chopper! Welcome to Knife Talk. We're a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, anyone with any general interest in knife making, you're in your shop, you need a little company, we're here for you. We're here with you. My name is Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. I'm with Bladesmith Moreco Momasi, Momasi Fire Arts, and Craig Lockwood at Shop Knives. And we're very fortunate enough, this is going to be a different kind of episode. We I got contacted by Professor Chris Cunningham. He's the Dean of General Education at the City College in Fort Lauderdale. And he sent me an email that was so compelling i had to call him and i thought after we talked let's get him on the podcast and and work this all out so so welcome chris why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the project that you're working on hey uh well thank you for having me on first of all um i uh i've been an educator for many years um and I uh, have been a kind of an amateur zodiac researcher uh referring to the zodiac killer um, that uh, terrorized the North Bay area of San Francisco from late 1960s to the early 1970s. And there's a particular aspect of the case um, involving a knife. And I thought uh, I would reach out to you and uh, see if you could provide any insight. Um, I'm actually uh, doing a, an academic research project on it. And uh, I am not a knife expert or a knife enthusiast. I know about uh, as much about knives as the next guy. Uh, so I figured I would try to reach out to somebody who might know more about knives and, and give us some insight into one of the Zodiac Killer's weapons. Awesome. Awesome. So, Chris, hi, it's Craig here. Um, here in Europe, hey, I, I, I didn't know anything about this Zodiac Killer. So uh, just from uh, Jeff telling me that you're going to be on the show, I've got online and I've seen all these videos and there's there's all this, this evidence and testimony and stuff like that. Can you just give to anybody who doesn't know about the, the Zodiac Killer, just a one-minute little spiel about what it was all about, when it all occurred, and so on? Right. Well, with one minute, it's going uh, <laughs> to—I could spend four hours. <laughs> um, but essentially, the, uh, the Zodiac Killer uh, is probably the most infamous unsolved crime in American history. Um, it is the American Jack the Ripper. Um, and, uh, essentially, uh, the Zodiac killer was a man who killed five people, um, in, uh, Vallejo, California, Benicia, California, and San Francisco and Napa, uh, in that area of San Francisco. Um, and, uh, in addition to, uh, just killing people, he wrote letters, sent codes, taunted the police. And then after about two years, he fell off the face of the earth. And we didn't hear from him again. Um, and as far as we know, he didn't kill again. Um, but it is a, uh, a notorious case that has fascinated people for over 50 years. Wow. Okay. 
Okay, so this is pretty serious. This isn't like our normal shows. This show is taking a bit of a spin, and we've gone very serious this week. Yeah, we ain't cutting carrots this week. <laughs> no, no. <clears throat> so, so how can we help? What, what, what can we do? We, we've got this big community who listen to the show. We're talking fifty thousand knife makers all over the world. A lot of um, expertise on different styles of knife and how knives are made. That kind of thing. What's the ideal? How can we help? Well, uh, essentially, obviously, you guys are knife experts. It would be great if you could provide some insight. But, but moreover, um, your listeners, your your subscribers, uh, it would be great if I could kind of explain the issue that I'm dealing with or the problem, and then hopefully they could kind of crowdsource it uh, and provide some insight and and maybe maybe come to some conclusions here. Um, but let me let me get right down to it. Uh, the Zodiac. Um, the crimes that he committed were, were typically committed by gun, uh, handgun, nine millimeter, 22 caliber, et cetera, uh, except for one of his crimes. Um, and that was committed by a knife. Um, he stabbed two people, one of whom died. Um, and what I really want to do is try to identify what kind of knife was used in the attack. Um, now at, at first glance, that might seem like an irrelevant detail, but actually in identifying the guy, uh, if we can identify a detail about him, um, then I, I think it might reduce the suspect pool, uh, suspect pool somewhat so that we could actually uh, identify who the guy is. So basically I, I'd like to describe the knife to you, um, and see if, you guys can come to some conclusions about what knife was used in this attack. Love it. So a little bit about the crime itself. Um, the, the crime occurred at uh, Lake Berryessa, uh, which is a beautiful man-made lake uh, in Napa, uh, Napa, California. And uh, there were two young people. They were uh, college students, uh, friends who were spending a uh, September, a beautiful September uh, afternoon uh, by the lakeside, uh, laying on a blanket, just hanging out, talking. And a man approaches them with a bizarre costume. He was wearing an executioner's hood and kind of a black smock or a black dicky that had his uh, infamous cross circle symbol stitched into it. So obviously this was a very performative crime. Um, You usually don't go around committing homicides in costume uh but this is a very performative crime and he 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 was he dressed up um and uh he approached these people at gunpoint um tied them up and then once they were hogtied by the lakeside and remember this is broad daylight this is about 6 p.m um he took out a huge knife and stabbed them he stabbed the man six times stabbed the woman ten uh the woman later died um but the man survived and was able to give a, a, a pretty detailed description of both the man and the knife, which is the only reason that we know exactly what happened. So that's, that's kind of the context of, of the crime then. Okay. And we do, is there any sort of witness reports on, on, the, on the knife at all with regards to how it looks or anything, or any, any um, doctor's reports or anything like that, which could, could describe the knife in any way? In, yeah, indeed. Uh, there's uh, the eyewitness, uh, a gentleman named Brian Hartnell, was actually a uh, a really, really good witness. He was an intelligent guy. He's actually a practicing attorney now in California, and he was a sociology major at the time. And, and he remained so calm that in later statements, he said that he 
uh, thought he could get a term paper out of it. He, uh, he, he thought he, you know, he was really fascinated that, that this was happening to him. Uh, of course, at the time, this is, he didn't know that he was going to be uh, attacked. He thought that the, the gentleman told him that he was just wanted his car. So he remained calm, cool, collected throughout uh, throughout the ordeal, um, and was able to, to really kind of zero in and, and be a little bit better witness than most people are in high stress situations like that. So we have his description. We also have the medical examiner's description um, of what he believed the weapon uh, was used based on uh, Cecilia Shepard, who was the the young woman uh, who passed away. Uh, her wounds in examining her wounds, he was able to identify uh, or at least guess at what uh, kind of weapon was used, and they're actually pretty similar. So I have those uh, here uh, if you'd like me to, to give those to you, and then you guys can kind of spitball. Sounds great. Anything we can do to help? Um, yeah, no, it, it, uh, yeah, the, this is great. I, I really appreciate you guys doing this if I, if I haven't said so. Um, but um, but, but here, here's the thing. First of all, it was a very long night. Um, when I first got into this, I assumed, oh, it's a steak knife or, you know, maybe a, a, a you know, a, a dagger or something like that. We're, we're talking about a really long night. So, um, and that's exactly the first thing uh, uh, that Brian Hartnell, the eyewitness, he described it as a long knife. Um, and initially he said the knife had a black handle and appeared to be homemade. Um, and I'm going to get into that homemade aspect in a moment, but Here's what it says exactly from the police report. It said that he had he was wearing a knife in a case on his belt on the right side near the front of his trousers. The knife description appeared to be a long bread knife, a 12-inch long blade, three-quarters of an inch wide, a hardwood handle with two brass rivets holding it in place, cotton surgical tape wrapped approximately one inch around the handle of the knife, and the knife case is possibly made of wood. So at first glance, you're looking at a very long knife, 12 inches long, but also not very wide, three quarters of an inch, but something sturdy enough that would be able to use in a stabbing. Um, and I, I don't think, again, I'm not a knife expert. I don't think a bread knife would be a very effective stabbing weapon. Correct me if I'm wrong. Bread knives are generally not sharp. I mean, the pointed I mean, they're generally like they break or they're rounded. So I would imagine that I would imagine that uh, also a bread knife would be uh, there'd be description from the medical examiner saying they're more like the cuts would be a little bit more jagged, you know, like more of a sawing or like a tear. Yeah, as opposed to a clean cut. Yeah. 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 Um, And that's that's actually what the autopsy report says. And And I'll read that, too. Uh, Dr. Petrus was the doctor who performed the autopsy, and he further stated that examining wounds inflicted on Miss Shepard, it was his opinion that the weapon used would be from 9 to 11 inches in length Jeez. and 1 inch in width, and possibly sharpened on both sides of the top of the blade, similar to a bayonet. Um, and he also went on to say that, in addition, the wounds indicated it would be a heavy or sturdy type blade, which again, in my mind, eliminates a bread knife, because a bread knife isn't what I would describe as heavy or sturdy, would you? No, no. And I think, I mean, that sort of length, we could be looking at something like a carving knife, which would be very similar to a bread knife, but without those serrations. Um, but again, they're normally a bit more flexible. They aren't, they aren't as solid. That's right. one of the things that makes, makes it very, you know, the interesting thing is the concept that it's three quarters to an inch um, deep or wide. 
that would kind of take away from the idea that it being a very flexible knife because if you're plunging something that's a foot long or 11 inches, nine inches, 11 inches, it would just would start to kind of, I would imagine that if it was super flexible, it would just be very difficult to, to use as a, that type of weapon, I would think. Yeah. And honestly, that's, that's been one of the, uh, the things that's one of the reasons I approached you is that it seems that every avenue we go down, we end up having to backtrack. You know, initially we thought, well, it's just a normal kitchen knife um, that was used uh, an everyday kitchen knife you'd order, you know, from Sears. Um, and then we realized, well, how could it be a kitchen knife if there's a wood sheet that he's using, a foot-long wood sheet? That's unusual. What uh, what, what chef or kitchen person uses a, a foot-long sh- uh, wooden sheet? Um, so we thought, well, maybe it's a bayonet. Maybe it's a military knife. Um, so we looked at the bayonets, and bayonets really don't have hardwood handles with two brass rivets. Um, so then we thought, well, maybe it's a Bowie knife or a survival knife or something like that. But they're too wide. They're you know two inches or more wide. So it just seems like every time we we think we have it figured out, we run into something that just eliminates it. So um, again, that's, that's that's why I was hoping you'd be able to provide some insights. Now, some people have suggested that perhaps it was a Japanese style knife, uh, like a Tanto knife or uh, a sushi slicing blade. Um, uh, but I, I, I don't know enough about those to really, to really say. Mareka, what uh, do you, what's your initial thoughts? Yeah, my initial thoughts, when you said that they pulled it out of a sheath, sheath off their hip, my first thought, and I hope I don't offend any meat cutters out there or butchers, but those are the only people I've ever seen carry sheaths on their hips like that of knives that description, whether it's a boning knife or something like that. And it's, I I don't even know if, you know, it might be that the sheath doesn't, unfortunately, maybe necessarily belong to that exact knife. But like Craig was saying, the only kind of knives I've seen described like that are, especially at like a, a secondhand store or a vintage shop, are old carving knives that are kind of usually on the cheaper side that rely on those serrations um, either to hold their edge or to cut through whatever they're cutting through. Um, well, it seems as though, yeah. <clears throat> pardon me, we can rule a couple things out in regards to being a sushi knife. You said in the beginning that the handle had two brass rivets, which, you know, says to us that this knife is a full tang knife, right? I mean, we can be clear that this right. is not a hidden tang knife. <clears throat> so if you're the first time you're listening to this podcast, full tang knife versus hidden tang knives, you know, Mareka, you want to just describe the difference between the two? Yeah, well, so the tang uh, of the knife refers to the metal of the knife that is in the handle. And if it's a full tang, you can see it around the entire perimeter of the ham- handle along the spine side of the handle on the belly and around the pommel versus a hidden tang you wouldn't be able to see any of that because it, it it's hidden it's inside of the the block of handle material whatever it is um but they still either either style could still use rivets um but it it sounds like it's a full tang knife yeah it, it's just kind of to jump on that a little bit the police report does say that it was a double edge and that um, it was um, had wooden handle slabs with two brass rivets. Right. So okay. I, to me, that would indicate that, that it was kind of two pieces of, of wood that kind of were placed over the blade and then, and then riveted in rather than wrapping around the whole blade at the handle. Sure. Perfect. And that, so that, that's pretty that, standard for that style. 
of so that, that era rules out a hidden tang knife this is you know it seems okay, as though yeah. he, he, the knife was had wooden scales riveted together now <clears throat> you mentioned that there was uh cotton around the the inch the first inch of the knife the handle yeah yeah it appeared to brian hartnell the witness that there was cotton surgical tape you know kind of that you know, doctors use to hold uh, bandages in place and, you know, athletes used to wrap their fingers and, and ankles and whatnot, that uh, that cotton surgical tape was wrapped around the, uh, the the handle kind of where the blade begins. Um, I guess you describe that as a hilt. Um, and it's presumed that he used that as kind of a crude flip guard, uh, probably knowing that he would um, be using that knife for its purpose to stab, and he didn't want his, you know, with getting blood on him, sweat, et cetera. He didn't want his hand to slip off the blade and or slip off the handle onto the blade and injure himself. So he probably put that cotton surgical tape there to, to protect and act as kind of a slip guard um, is, is, is the general presumption. Um, and I think that would also uh, make it appear to an observer that it might be homemade um, or repaired, that perhaps the handle was loose, so somebody wrapped tape around it. Um, but I, I, I really don't think that's the case i think he used that to protect his hands from the blade um but yes there was one inch of, of cotton surgical tape wrapped around the, uh, the handle near the blade to me that's very telling because it, it it says a few things either if it's if it's the case that he was using it as a um something to make make sure that his hand didn't slip while he was using it it makes me rule out the idea that it was a fighting knife or a bayonet you know bayonets have you know a lot of you know, technical parts on it to hold it, affix it to a, to a rifle or whatever. And, you know, generally they're, you know, trench knives and fighting knives have a guard. So if he had something, exactly. on it, if he had something like tape on it, there's two things. If he's trying to not slip, that means that this is not, this knife is not intended for the purpose that it is. So it kind of sends you to the idea that this might be a culinary knife or something like that. The other thing it says to right. me is that, that it, if it's a repair, that means that this knife is very it's it's very close to the the idea that this is not like you know for lack of a better there's not it doesn't stabilize wood it, it it could be that you know if this was an inexpensive knife that the wood you know is coming off the handle the it's popping through you know spreading out the rivets water gets in between the knife and the scales and maybe it's swole and then there's the there's you know you see daylight in between the knife and the scales so it makes me think that maybe this was a repair um a crude repair and maybe the fact is he's not a knife you know this is not a, you know we, we were talking about this being a homemade situation but it makes it makes me feel like this guy is not someone who is handy around you know you know, in the workshop and fixing the knife with redoing the rivets or something. Yeah. He's just kind of taping it up to get it, to get it where he needs right. to be. Right. And, and the other aspect too, that I, I think that goes along with that in terms of, of whether he's handy, whether he knows what he's doing is um, he, and I've been told by people who, who, who are quote unquote in the know that um, there's been some suggestion that, that the Zodiac killer was military or had military background, military training. Uh, perhaps he was in law enforcement or a hunter. Um, but in speaking with people, they've said that if he was in fact military or if he was in fact a hunter, um, he would make he would know where to stab those people to make sure that they died. 
Um, and they didn't. They both survived. Uh, Cecilia huh. uh, only survived for, for a day or two and later passed away. But Brian survived completely. Um, and the suggestion would be that if he was military and it was a military knife, that that those people would both be dead. He would he would know how to kill them, so to speak. Um, and uh, and a hunter as well. So um, you know, Brian was stabbed six times. Uh, Cecilia would, was stabbed ten. Um, and, and they both survived, um, at least for a short period for Cecilia. So you wonder if it was a military knife and is he just kind of military adjacent where he, he, you know, maybe likes the military, but couldn't get in and is frustrated and likes to play army uh, or, you know, it's just, just a a lot of tantalizing questions here. and, And unfortunately I don't have any answers. Sure. Did you mention, Chris, earlier that there's a possibility that it could have been could have a sharp edge across the top of the knife too? Did, did I hear you say the, that? Yeah, that's what the medical examiner said. Uh, I'll, I'll read you his words exactly. It says uh, uh, possibly sharpened on both sides of the top of the blade, similar to a bayonet. Hmm. Okay. There's a so, lot of. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Craig. So I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. You know, shape wise. You know, almost like like your Cuban knife. Jeff, it's not really sharpened across the top there, but it, it's got a narrowing, hasn't it? So, you know, it, it possibly would leave that sort of shape. Well, if you had a knife that's three quarters to an inch in in depth, in height, for the, for the lack of a better word, there would be a lot of flexibility to it if it was very, very thin. Like, you know, 16, three, even three thirty seconds at an inch is going to be very, very flexible. If you had something like I actually have a carving knife uh, my, from my father, who happens to be dead. Oh, no, no, no time for jokes now. He um, and it's it's very sharp on one side. It's three quarters of an inch. It actually has, um, it's it's about an eighth of an inch thick at the spine, but it has a hollow grind. And what that what a hollow grind, what that does is that leaves half the knife or three thir- three eighths of the knife, the spine, full thickness. And then the hollow grind makes it very, very sharp. It's not flexible at all. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of points to the, the. It just seems to me like it feels like it, it, that the concept of a the idea of a carving knife is nice and long. So you would have one. You know, you're not sawing back and forth with the short knife. You're one long swipe, and then that's giving you the full cut. Um, that's why the sushi knife's interesting too, because. The, the the carving knife and the sushi knife they're generally on the not they're on the they're not flexible they're not a flexible knife what do you guys think I mean, shape wise sorry oh, Rebecca, after you go on I was just gonna say real quick I have seen um, at vintage shops uh, looking at old knives and I actually collect old knives and I have seen some carving knives that have kind of a clip uh, ground across the top, the spine of the knife, but it's not necessarily sharpened, but it could leave, I guess, maybe a similar shape behind as, as a sharpened knife would, if it was sharpened along the spine. And then also kind of regarding back to the handles really quick. I, I have seen a lot of, uh, old knives have some sort of tape, uh, to to kind of repair or help hold the scales onto the material especially with you know in that time you know those knives weren't necessarily being made with stabilized material and like jeff was saying they would take on a lot of moisture and so the tape kind of helps hold on but it does sound like if especially if it's built up towards the front of the the handle it sounds like it i agree it would 
be built up to act as a kind of guard or yeah, to keep the hand from slipping down onto the blade, especially something as narrow as possibly a carving knife, you know. Mm. And if it was that thin, you could get away with it not being sharpened on that. I, I, when I, when he, with the idea that I'm just going to, my opinion is, is this was not a homemade knife or, you know, and, and that if he's using tape to hold the scales together, it's very, it would be a futile situation to kind of grind the top, especially back in the sixties. I would think that it'd be kind of difficult to, out of nowhere, sharpen the spine, which if it was a three eighths, three quarters of an inch knife, it would be kind of, it would be not, it would not be the easiest thing to do to, to, to put a, a an edge on 12 inches of hardened steel, right? Stainless steel, most likely. I mean, if this is like a carving, sure. if this is like a kitchen knife at the time, this is a very yeah. good chance that this is, you know, a stainless steel knife. I mean, I would think, I don't know, I'm, that maybe I, that's not, there's no real evidence to point to that direction, but I would think it's a hardened knife. It would be kind of hard to, you know, file in a, an, a another edge, you know, so mm. it makes me think it's on the thinner side and that narrow would would give you the same result. I mean, if it's, you know, there's nothing, those thinner knives, are, there's not a lot of resistance if you're in the stabbing position because there's only three-eighths of an inch. Like you were talking about the Cuban knife. The Cuban knife is, you know, it tapers, but it goes to, uh, I would think two in, a two-inch heel would be kind of difficult to kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm what the fuck, I'm not, I'm not Doug Markaita. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how, <laughs> how, uh, you know, these things work, but it just, I, I just get the feeling like, one of the things that's interesting is is in just kind of like switching gears is the, the is the sheath. Um, that's what I keep getting hung up on. Well, I feel like a wooden sheath for anything other than a Japanese knife is very uncommon. Um, so, well, why don't you tell tell our listeners about wooden sheaths? What are wooden sheaths generally for? Uh, so, I mean, so in Japanese culture, you know, wooden sheaths are usually you know they're for it's just a very standard and it's part of the the sword making tradition uh they're referred to as sayas and um you know they would do the same thing for swords and when swords were outlawed all the swordsmiths became uh knife smiths and they and they would they kept all those same traditions though of keeping a wooden sheath for the knife and you know that's just designed to help protect the edge of the knife the, the blade um but I, I feel again. I, I feel like I've basically never seen a wooden sheath for um, most any other other kind of knife um, of that size and description um, from that kind of era. Well, yeah, that, that was actually um, that was actually one of the things that confused us. Is we initially thought, well, this is just a regular old kitchen knife. You know, maybe like one of those old hickory knives that you could buy. Uh, sure. The old hickory brand knives you could buy, you know, through a Sears catalog um, that were kind of ubiquitous back in the 60s. But if you have a foot long kitchen knife, how do you go about pairing that with a foot long wooden sheath? <laughs> that seems that seems pretty, um, you know, unusual to us. Um, and who so described I, it? We as kind a of assumed sheath? that the knife and the sheath would have to go together. Right. Say again, Mareko. I, I asked who described it as the wooden sheath. Was that the witness, the the gentleman that was? Stabbed? It was the, it, yeah. It was it was both the witness and and then it's in the police reports as well. Now the, the the witness did say that it was possibly made of wood, and then the police report said that it was made of wood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess there's some wiggle room. Perhaps it's not. Perhaps it merely appeared wooden. Maybe it was uh kind of a it was leather, but kind of had a a wooden color look. It was you know stiff. 
Um, I, I, again, I don't really know enough about sheets to really say sure. with any, uh, you know, any, any authority. Sure. Thinking I, I about could... the, the actual shape and, and sort of my thoughts of what, from what you've described, I mean, I've just done a little bit of Googling here as well, to, you know, to various different shapes and things. And I'm thinking like an old traditional classic style butcher knife, generally eight to 12 inch blades. Um, they'd have a big curve. They'd also have a clip across the top. Which you know, if, if you're looking at the stab wound, you could then say maybe it was sharpened on both sides because it's got that clip across the top. A big round belly, generally full tang with brass pins, and as Marekko said, a butcher would have that strapped to them in some some sort of carrier. And I'm thinking maybe in the '60s, maybe plastics weren't as prev- prevalent as they are now, which which a butcher would carry carry around in. Mm-hmm. Just in my in my mind, that's the sort of shape that I see, and that's that's the sort of fit that I get. But does that um, does that correspond with the inch inch long edge? I mean, the the thickness, the the width is an is a is an is like a three quarters to an to an inch. Ah, those quite things true. are yes, it's, it's those things are tend yes, to be yeah. like closer you know, under two inches. Those yeah. are, like you're talking about those like scimitar slicing knives. Exactly. Right? Yes, that kind of thing. Those yeah. seem to be yeah. a little bit. See, the interesting thing to about the wooden sheath, and regardless it. Regardless if it's wood or leather or something like that, one of the characteristics of wood is if you have something long, like a blade, like a long sword or something like that, a firm uh, sheath is going to make sure that the tip of your edge isn't going to kind of rot. You know, accent if if your sheath is leather and it's floppy, you know, especially if twelve inches long, you don't want to put the knife quickly into the leather sheath and it just because it's not stiff, it kind of goes through the side of the 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 face of one of the sides of the leather. The idea of the wooden sheath, especially with bayonets, and I know that um, bayonets a lot of times the the sheaths are you know either hard plastic or hard wood. They're they're not they're not generally I would think the ones I've seen they're like a hard case because they're so long. When you put it in, it goes in direct. It doesn't kind of slide. You know, it doesn't uh, slip around on the sides of the the faces of the sheath. So it 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 makes sense to me that it's wood because if it was like a if it was like you know I'm still seeing this knife like almost like a needle you know it's 12 inches 9 inches 11 inches and it's 3 quarters of an inch you know wide there's a it's a needle like quality so I would think that you would want something very like a, like a wooden sheath mm-hmm. or or a hard sheath in order for it to kind of go in and out kind of it sounds like this guy needs to he doesn't have a whole lot of time to fool around so no i wonder well, go ahead oh, go ahead no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to add to the idea of the serrations. So if this guy's, you know, crazy enough, obviously, to kill, try to kill a couple of people and kill somebody with this knife, uh, a, a modification that I've seen that wouldn't be uncommon for the time um, is people to even cut in their own serrations. I've seen all kinds of different modifications, especially to cutlery knives uh, that are designed to help signify that this is my knife, but um, very easily, even on a bench grinder, um, I could see somebody take making the effort to cut in serrations if they thought that that was going to help in whatever they were doing. Um, in my cra- mind, though, again, if they're I don't... crazy enough to try to kill somebody, I, f- I feel like they're they're willing to put that kind of effort into <laughs> designing if, a lethal weapon. But if they're that handy, they'd yeah. fix the handle. You know, like, I feel like, I feel like if it was, if it was somebody who was going to go to the, the trouble to put serrations into an already sharp knife, thin needle, like a needle, really, yeah. then you're going to like, you know, 
rebolt the handle together. Ah, that's does that the amount of effort though that goes into jamming, you know, jamming the knife into a bench grinder to cut in some serrations versus uh, taking the bolt apart and pulling, putting that all back together and sourcing a proper bolt to put back in there. It's very different. Uh, you know, you could hit it on a bench grinder and ten minutes later, or five minutes later, have serrations. Uh, I, on a I, I, I tend to knife. think that this was a. I th- I t- it just seems to me like this was. One of the things I, I thought of was it, you know, like if you if you made the connection between an outdoor knife and a culinary knife, you end up with like a, like um, what like hunters have or uh, fishing. I think I was thinking about a lot of fishing guys. I just did a, uh, you know, uh, a long boning knife. And those are meant to not be in a kitchen. Those are meant to kind of go out into the field. So, you know, sure. I could I would think like um, like a long fillet knife. You know, especially for, you know, like, you know, the butchers too, you know, butchers have stuff that they're taking with them all the time and they have a sheath. I was thinking about a sportsman's knife, something that they could, you know, they would take outside with them. They wouldn't, you know, you're not necessarily butchering fish, giant fish, or big fish, you know, in your house, you're doing it in a, on a boat or something. Yeah. I, I, I feel as as if like you've said it, it's got tape around it this guy we all know the most the most lethal weapon you've got is the one the one closest to hand I suppose so I I don't think that this is one that he probably would have customized himself and all the rest of and all the rest of that because as I said the tape is still on it it's it's but it, I, it's it's just it's difficult but I in my head I can, I can picture I can picture this kind of carving knife. Um, you know, it, it's got that correct shape that we're talking about, and you know, full tang. It, it, you generally have the two or three brass pins that that, that they've mentioned. Um, yeah, that's that's just where my mind is going. To be honest, that that's all I have. But back to what... um, just to, just to, just to circle back real quick to uh, to the Japanese aspect. I just want to kind of toss a, a detail in here about the case that um, that may be kind of informative is, um, in the Zodiac killer, obviously he wrote letters and, and, and codes that taunted the police and, and talked about the crimes. Uh, and in several of his letters, a couple of his letters, he mentioned, uh, the Mikado, uh, referenced the Mikado, which was a opera by Gilbert Sullivan, um, that actually was set in Japan. And there is a character in that, uh, opera called Coco, the executioner. Um, it, it's a, it's a comedy, but, uh, it, 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 it centers around Coco, the executioner. And as you know, he dressed up for this crime as, as kind of an executioner. So huh. I wonder if there's perhaps some, uh, some connection there between perhaps the Japanese blade, the Japanese character, um, you know, uh, maybe there's, 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 there's some tenuous connection there. The interesting thing about that play, um, is that it was written by English guys. You know, Gilbert and Sullivan weren't Japanese, yeah. and it was very stylistic yeah. to. It was stylistic to Japanese culture. It wasn't really. It wasn't really based on a lot of you know depth. I mean, it was it was they were doing almost like a, you know, it was like a, they're what they thought of Japanese people. But back to what Mareka was saying about the uh, serrations. If he's going to go to such trouble with his outfit, maybe he is going to go to such trouble of putting serrations in. It just seems as yeah, though. The, uh, Go ahead. The, the, yeah, the, 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 I, I, I do think the knife had significance. Um, I don't think it was simply utilitarian. Uh, and, I, and I say that because after the crime was committed, uh, he walked back up and on the passenger side door of the victim's car, 
he wrote uh, he wrote his symbol that the cross circle symbol, um, and then wrote the dates of his previous crimes, and then the date of that crime, and then underneath wrote by night, um, huh. kind of indicating that hey, I switched up my my mo because um, all of the previous crimes had been by by handgun, uh, so this time he wrote by knife. So I do think that he went in there knowing he was going to commit this act uh, with a knife, and I, I do think that the knife had some significance to him, or what that was is, is unknown, um, but I do think the knife was important. I think the stabbing aspect, um, you know, killing these people by a knife, uh, served some significance to him. Um, so I think that's an interesting interesting context, too. Huh. Well then, then, then now my theory that it was just like some butcher knife he found, or some you know slicing knife he found from somewhere is just you know out of you know now it throws that right out. Maybe a bit more sort of ceremonial, maybe. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of lends back to the, you know, to the Mikado and, and the operetta, and, and you know, there was some suggestion perhaps he was a an actor and one of the theaters in San Francisco. Uh, the Mikado was was performed. Uh, several times during this time period. And of course, Groucho Marx performed it in 1960. Um, and that was widely dis- uh, distributed on TV. Um, and, uh, there, there's been some Groucho Marx motifs in the Zodiac writings. Um, so there's, there's an interesting aspect there too. I, I'm telling you that this, this is why this case is so fascinating to me is because there are just so many connections and so many clues and it's so tantalizing that you can just go down this rabbit hole and, and, and be there forever. Um, but there just seems to be as many questions as there are answers. Huh. Well, we can rule a few things out. We can, I mean, we can rule out that, I mean, it was, we can say that it was a full tang knife and I mean, pretty much that's it. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, what else, <laughs> what do you guys think? Yeah. I, I think you, you pretty much nailed, nailed it there that we can, Almost definitely say it's a full tang knife, hence having the pins. Um, there's obviously always going to be debate about the shape. Um, what I find weird is the fact that, it, as you say, it's so long, but but yet so thin. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sort of stuck there, really. What do you think, Morocco? Uh I just, uh, for clarification, you said it had two brass rivets in it? Yeah, well, that's what the witness said, yep. Okay. It was uh, two wooden slabs on either side of the blade held together with two brass rivets. I see. The more the more I keep thinking, it, it reminds me of like uh, Cutco. <laughs> Don't mean to throw Cutco under yeah. the bus. But they have a very long, narrow, serrated knife that they only use two rivets in their handles. Um, that is kind of fancier. You know, at the time, Cutco was the rage. And like it was the height, the quality, American quality knives. Um, that got their inspiration from Japanese quality work. Um, I don't know. It just makes me think of that. Um, but I mean, other, yeah, it's, it's just, it does sound like, especially if, with being able to modify your own knives, um, especially, especially with serrations, how easily that can be done. Um, it's, it's hard to, I feel like it's really hard to pin down exactly one knife um i'm just looking through google actually image search right now i actually see a lot of vintage carving sets with wooden sheaths it looks like the the knife and fork both would kind of get held into the wooden sheath um 
as like part of the case. It's interesting that, to think about uh, the, the second victim and how he very, like it sounds like he was almost unquestionably thought it was a wooden sheath. And I, I wonder, it must, it must be something that was common in the time that you could just look at it at a glance in such a distressful situation and have that familiarity to just say, yeah, it's a wooden sheath or it's, it's a strong likelihood it was a wooden sheath. But it also with like a lot of sheaths, like uh, bayonet sheaths and K-bar sheaths and all those kinds of sheaths, the hard sheaths that you wear on your belt, it would have like a piece of leather, a piece of fabric on it. So it would fit over your belt. Like it mm. sounds, you know, it sounds like if it was a wooden sheath or a hard sheath, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be tucked in his belt like a samurai sword. Right. Right. Chris. Yeah, no, in fact, it, it was indicated that it was actually uh, attached, uh, like tied or flipped on, right, hanging from his belt rather than rather than kind of, you know, tucked through. Hmm. Well, that's... Chris, this is a, a very interesting, interesting topic. And um, if our listeners, do you want, do you want to give us an email address that our listeners can contact you with their information or do you want us to have them DM us and then we put them together? How can they contact you with what they think? Because, you know, like we, like Craig was saying, we have 50,000 listeners. A lot of them are knife makers. A lot of them, I'm sure a lot of them are screaming at us as they listen to this. Saying, <laughs> you got it wrong. You, come on, man. How can they contact you to give you information that might help you? Uh, well, if they want to contact me uh, about the knife, any information about the knife, they can they can reach out to me uh, at uh, Cunningham Chris three five at Gmail. Um, that's that's my that's my personal email that I use for for talking to people about the case. Cunningham Chris three five at Gmail. Um, but if they have any uh, information about the crime itself, I mean, it, who knows? Maybe maybe somebody's got some information. Maybe some they know somebody's uncle did it. I, if, if there's any uh, information pertaining to the crime itself. Um, please reach out to law enforcement. Um, contact the California Department of Justice. Um, don't contact me. <laughs> I'm not a law enforcement officer at all. Um, so if they know anything about the crime, uh, and, and honestly, that's that's really why I'm here. Um, that's, that's why I'm on this podcast. Is I want to I want to catch the guy. Um, the guy was a monster, and uh, I want to I want to identify him. I want if he's alive, I want to bring him to justice. Um, if he's not alive, I want to bring closure to the victims. Um, I'm not trying to sell anything. I don't want to. I don't have a podcast to, to, to promote. I'm really in this just to catch the guy. Huh. Um, so any information is, is, uh, is, is really, um, is really valuable. So any information regarding the crime itself, please reach out to law enforcement, California department of justice. Um, and, uh, if they have any information about the knife, any details, any, any input, uh, they can, they can reach me at my, my email. That I gave. That's amazing. Well, 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 professor Cunningham, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, this was really interesting. Like I said, when I got that email, I don't normally call people when they give their phone number, but it was so compelling. I had no choice. I had to call you. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, uh, we'll forward people to you if they have any information. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. And, and hopefully you and your listeners can kind of put their knife expert heads together and, and maybe come up with an answer that's been eluding us. Um, but, uh, it, it, it is a, it is a frustratingly tantalizing case. It, 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 can, it can really play with your head. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks so much, and uh, good luck. Okay, guys. Hey, thank you again for having me on. I appreciate it. Outstanding. Absolutely. Take care. Combat abrasives make the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. 
available in any size and at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with the promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now! Do it now. I think it's time for some news. Welcome to another episode of KTP News. Uh, oh, I'm going to kick it off with the Artisans in Steel calendar. We got a lot of great things to talk about right now in the news. Um, this week's, uh, this week, this month's pinup again is Peter Swarsbert. Um, so coming up, uh, oh, I'm so dumb. I didn't put the actual date on here. The, the Tactical Knife Show in Nashville, Tennessee is happening on the 15th, the day after Valentine's Day. So, uh... I don't know. That would be a horrible date. But if you thought you wanted to ruin your relationship, you should take uh, you should take your girlfriend away to that um, tactical knife. Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's that was that was not well thought through, was it? <laughs> so, uh, hey baby, let's go some romance. Let's go out of let's go to this tactical knife show. Let's, right, go, to go. let's go survive together. Um, other than that, uh, there's nothing else happening for the rest of the month until next month. There's a ton, March is full of stuff, so I can't wait to get all that stuff out. Uh, if you guys want to get a hold of a 2020 January to December Artisan and Steel calendar, you can actually get those uh, on my website. They're available right now. They are in limited quantities, um, so get a hold of one while you can. And I think I'm definitely going to bring mine to Blade Show to get as many people as possible to sign it because I think that would be pretty cool to have signed photographs of different makers work hanging up in the shop i don't know i still love that idea oh, cool i don't know is that still a thing people signing stuff must still be i feel like selfies everybody wants selfies uh, these days sure exactly i don't know let me get a selfie with things. you yeah people sign things yeah well uh i'm getting ready to go down to uh doghouse forge uh jonathan porter over doghouseforge.com has got some classes i got a couple spots if you're in lakeland florida uh, February 29th and March 1st for a blacksmithing class. Um, and Ben Snoor's Hammer Fundamental class is March 14th and 15th, doghouseforge.com. I'm super pumped to get out there, and I'm also very excited. I just talked to Tomer over Florentine Kitchen Knives, and it looks like I'm going back to Barcelona. So They're having you back? Damn yeah, right, Oof. they're having me back. Oh, fools. No, you, you're the fuck. <laughs> you listen, you little bastard. We did a great job. He sent me a message saying people still ask about another one, and it looks like we're going to do it again. So awesome. get ready. Awesome. No. I also heard, what else? I did, was Ben Snur on Forge and Fire recently? Ben Snur was on Forge and Fire. Congratulations to you. About it. Did and he win? I think another one of our listeners, uh, a lot of our listeners have been on Forge and Fire. So we don't normally talk about the contestants, but we wish you all the best of luck. Yeah, Ben was representing the Hammer Makers. We're all, I'm nice. a Ben Snore right. fan, I'm a good dude. Yeah. Cool. Why else is going uh, on in the news? Anything? Yeah. So coming up uh, in the middle of March, uh, start planning now. Travis Wirtz, uh, famed for uh, Grinders. And also, I guess he was one of the hosts for Knife of Death. 
on History Channel. He's hammering a hammer in. He's been having, I think this is probably the sixth or seventh year running that he's run this hammer in at his place. It's March 14th and 15th. It's in Casa del Grande in Arizona. Uh, there's a ton of world-class presenters that are going to be there. I got folder makers, sword makers, Damascus, forging, grinding, uh, handle sculpting. Mike Quesenberry's uh, kind of like the lead in all of the presenters. Um, and yeah, if you go to Travis Wirt's website to the shop page, uh, kind of their store page, you can find tickets there. Um, but I just want to mention that so people can start planning for that as soon as possible if they think they want to go. Sounds like fun. Sounds yeah, like fun. It's a good time. Well, we've, I keep saying it, but New England School of Metalwork has um, their 2020 schedule is up. Uh, they got a lot of new classes, and definitely check them out. I know Nick Rossi's been doing a lot of uh, chef knife forging classes. Those are super – he posts pictures. They look great. And they just did a video of a forged survival knife. You should definitely go over to uh, New England School of Metalwork, check out what they're doing, watch their videos, but go take their classes. Everybody who goes always has a good time. So, Speaking of cool. the New England School of Metalwork, I actually took a class there. I did their uh, what week and a half introduction to bladesmithing course that kind of my at the time my idea was that I was gonna shave off a year uh, for towards getting my journeyman smith uh, rating which I I still haven't gotten yet <laughs> and I don't I don't know if I'll ever actually ultimately go for it uh, but anyways one of the students I met there um, is Bill Grulick he's a super great guy Jeff you know Bill sure and he's actually not far from you he's down in New Jersey uh, he's super gracious very always happy I feel like all the time uh, he happens to be selling off some really great equipment he's got a grinder and some and a lathe and some other great equipment um, just uh, I wouldn't normally do this but he's such a good friend and I want to help him find new homes for this this awesome equipment he is a, a machinist so you know he's taking really good care um, of this equipment and it's in good operating uh, in a good operating state you can find him on Instagram it's he's Grulick knives g-r-e-u-l-i-c-k uh, knives on Instagram. He's a good dude. Bill's a good dude. He's a great. He's a great guy. Now, you know what? Whilst we're talking about buying and selling stuff too, the the Knife Talk podcast this week or last week rather, I made it free for everybody, so anybody can go on, set up an account, and use it. You mean the but forum? There is a, in the forum, sorry, yes, yeah. There is a uh, a buying and selling bit there as well. Oh, perfect. So if you've got any old equipment, stick it on there, and hopefully somebody will pick it up from you. That's the place to do it. Sounds good. I also want to take um, five minutes of the news just to thank everybody for um, – I had a, a product launch this week. And thanks to you guys sharing it and talking about it and generally creating a bit of a buzz around it, um, it sold out very, very quickly, far quicker than I ever thought it would. I, I didn't think it would sell out, but it did. So I just want to thank anybody who did any sort of sharing, whether you liked it or whether you just chatted about it with mates, whatever. Thank you so much. It really is appreciated. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, I I wasn't surprised. This is slick look at knife too. Um, yeah, I was very surprised, <laughs> very very surprised. <laughs> well, but, you um, deserve it. You work hard. You did a good product. You told a story and you sold the knife. Isn't that right? That's the thing. Uh, tell the stories. Sell the story. Sell the knife. I'm in. And if you're going to make a knife, you're going to need abrasive belts, right? You're going to have a lot of abrasive belts because all those knives you have to cut. 
or grind. So what you should do is you should go to Combat Abrasives and get yourself some belts. Get all sorts of belts. And if you put in Knife Talk 15 at checkout, you're going to get 15% off all your belts. They got other products. Use those belts and get yourself grinding away. Knife Talk 15 Combat Abrasives. Arnie did it better. Ah, fuck Arnie. <laughs> you kidding me? That guy knew better than that. Come on, man. Go better braces at the best. Get out of here. <laughs> Let's move on. Why do you build along? Fucking love that. God damn, I love that. I, I was singing that in the car. Me. I was singing in the car last week. Build yeah. along. I love it. Why do you build along? <laughs> anyway, the build along. So um, it's been great to see so many people doing the build along using the the knife talk ba hashtag. You can see all the people that we're doing the build along with us. It's a simple sort of bushcraft knife. The reason for choosing that was we want people to, if they're making their first knife, they can get involved. If it's people who've been making knives for a long time, they can get involved too and maybe customize it in some way. So it's been really nice to see some of the the versions that people are doing. So the initial uh, design was done on knifeprint.com, which is a 2D CAD program, which you can go online and nothing to download, nothing to install. You can just go straight to knifeprint.com. You can design your knife. But they've got a great service where once you've designed your knife, you can actually get the blank cut and they'll they'll mail it out to you as well. So I know a lot of people who are doing the, the build-along have done that and they've been receiving them this week. They've been receiving their blanks. So it's a really cool service. So take a look at knifeprint.com. If you use Knife Talk, you'll get 10% off one of their pro accounts as well. So, yeah, go and have a look. Really great tutorials if you've never used a CAD program too. So where are we in the build-along? So where are we? This is our third week. So in the first week, we did our design and our profiling. The second week, which I put the video up last week, was all about the heat treat. And I had a complete disaster doing this video. So pretty close to the end of the shoot. Um, and I was fiddling with my camera and it just fell straight onto the lens. And I had like a couple of shots left, you know, the, the very last, you know, pulling the knife out of the oven, that kind of thing. I was gutted. So then had to use the iPhone just for the, the last couple of things. And I know people are going to say he didn't do any normalizing cycles. He didn't do any tempering. I did. I completely did. But I, I didn't record it because my camera was trashed. So um, I do mention the tempering. And, uh, you know, obviously everybody's going to be tempering their knife. But um, that's the reason why it wasn't as comprehensive as it should have been, maybe. Um, but this week is going to be all about the grinding. So we've mentioned combat abrasives already. You need to get your abrasives because we're going to be grinding the bevels. Now, and this as this is a bushcraft knife, um, I've chosen it a Scandi grind. And I just want your guys' opinion on this because... I mean, I don't do this kind of knife normally. I'd only do culinary knives the same as you two guys. But um, looking at Scandi grinds, they generally seem to be a Scandi grind all the way down to the cutting edge. There's no sort of primary bevel there. There's, the whole sharpened edge is that one Scandi grind. And I'm just wondering, with something, with a stock that I'm using is four millimeters, I think, I mean, the geometry of it, there's still going to be a fair bit of meat behind that cutting edge. I thought um, it, but I, I was just, I thought, sorry, I thought it cut, I thought a Scandi grind was like, it went from the cutting edge to halfway up. That's where the bevel it does. Is. It does, but what? But but also, you don't have that that sort of that other primary bevel. You know, where we on a kitchen knife, we'd have two bevels, really, wouldn't we? We'd have our one main bevel, then we'd have our sharpening bevel as well. Right. Scandi grinds generally have just that one bevel, so it's like a completely flat all the way down to the cutting edge. So you can you can when you're out in the field, you can you can just you can you know you can sharpen 
straight away. You don't have to worry about that extra angle. Huh, sure. So I was just wondering if if you, I mean, I know you're doing the build along, Jeff, and, and Mareko, if you were to do it as well, whether you'd be, you would go with that full traditional Scandi or whether you would allow for that second, secondary or primary bevel rather. I, I would opt for kind of the traditional skinny because I think the idea is that the that ch- kind of like that chisel bevel is just a, like if you thought about a chef's knife, if you continued that that primary cutting edge, if you continued that angle, it would turn into a massive big fat knife, which is kind of like what you see in Japanese style knives and like or like a Deba is those thick blades. Um, and that's kind of what's going on with the Scandi grind right it's it's just instead of stepping in and becoming a narrow thin knife it just it just that bevel continues and so i think as long as you're maintaining kind of like i don't know what the exact bevel is supposed to be for those i would guess probably around 30 degrees but i think as long as you're maintaining that it should have plenty of stability behind it to not require a secondary kind of primary cutting bevel not to be sharpened on i think as long as the stock is thick enough I mean, if if we took, for example, a, a chef knife, which in mine are generally about 2.3 millimeters, you could never do this because, you know, a full flat would go all the way down. You, you'd have no meat behind that cutting edge and it would, sure. it would you know, distort very, very quickly. Um, but I think particularly a bushcraft knife, because, you know, you're going to be you're going to be batting it, batting in it and you're going to be, you know, really abusing it. Um, so I think if you're doing anything less than a four millimeter stock, I'd, I'd suggest maybe going for that extra bevel. Um but yeah, I think I'm going to try a, a full Scandi all the way down. I've never done one before. Um, so yeah, it should be fun. I'm going to record the video for this just after this podcast. So there could well be another disaster in this week's video. Well, I'm behind. Great. I didn't I didn't actually heat treat my knife yet. I'm, I'm going to do it on Monday with another knife from... Uh, a, I had a, I'm doing mine at a 5200 and I have another chef knife that I'm going to heat treat too. I'll do them at the same time. I wouldn't... I would do a regular... Uh, scanty grind and then I'd leave some material for cutting edge because I would think that it, I would I mean that's just in my mind I would that's how I would do it I don't know if I would do it like a chisel where it's all the way to the edge I don't I don't really I don't have a lot of comfort with that mm. I'd want something to be you know these are for battening and stuff like that I would think you'd want something um, with a little bit more material behind the edge so you know yeah, I I think it just seems a bit alien to me. Total, you know, not not having that that secondary bevel because oh, sorry the primary I get the two mixed up. It's the primary bevel which is the main cutting bevel. Not having that extra one just seems alien to me because every knife I've ever done in the past will always have that. Right. Um, but the fact that this is that the stock is that much thicker, you will be having a, a much sort of deeper angle anyway, and you know it. it the grind doesn't go all the way up to the spine anyway. It's only from half, the halfway point, so it's going to be quite a quite a deep angle. So there will be plenty of plenty of beef behind that cutting edge. And if you have any questions or concerns, you can send your email to Chris Cunningham at Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> he was very brave saying that email address there. Jeez, uh, he's all right. He's all right. I, I, by the way, thanks again, Chris. That was a lot of fun, yeah. and, and uh, I didn't want to mention it on the. Uh, the only reason why I knew anything about the Mikado is when I was in. High school, I was in the Mikado. I was, uh, uh-huh. I did a lot of acting when I was a kid, and we, we talked about that. I was almost in Blue Lagoon too, but I was the Grand Poobah. I was the Grand Poobah in the Mikado. And little funny stories. I went to, I went to an all boys school, so the younger kids had to be the female parts, and the older kids got to be the male parts. So I was lucky enough that I slipped in right when I was old enough to be one of the 
I wasn't the female part. I did the male part, the Grand Poobah. I was not Buttercup. Very Shakespearean. We did a lot of Gilbert Sullivan. I got sucked into that bullshit. So there you are. There we go. There we go. Shall we take some questions? Let's do it. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? All right. Here we are. This is the time where we get your questions for us and we read them off. So if you go to Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram, you can DM us your questions that you'd like to submit for the show. Um, the first one is from two Nikali three. Good day. I can I ask you a question. I have a super small workspace talking eight feet by nine feet. What equipment would you recommend for such a small area when forging blades? Many thanks. Sydney, Australia. Hmm. We think guys it's simple. I try to keep it simple as possible. I have, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say just probably just a forge and a grinder and maybe a workbench, a drill press, a vice. Pretty simple. I mean, Jeff, you worked out of a pretty tight, pretty tight quarters for a while. That was my first shop was my shed, which was a garden shed that we moved into. We moved into our house and had a garden shed for the, for the, for the uh, lawnmower and stuff. And I actually built everything on the walls. I had, I had my chop saws were bolted to the door would bolted to the doors so like everything was very very you know i didn't have a whole lot of room and, and i was able to have in a grinder i was able to have heat treating ovens the heat treating oven was on a, on wheels uh, it was in my first even heat was on wheels everything was very mobile it was so small that if i turned around i was always in a difference i was i didn't have to move a lot i all i basically had to do is turn and i'd be at every different station the <laughs> one part that was hard was the blacksmithing stuff because it was hard for me to, I had to move my anvil around and the forge, I kept the forge, I would bring the roll of forge outside and then have the anvil inside. It wasn't optimal at all. Um, but I think, I feel like, especially for a knife shop, I had that size. I think if you're just in, in, inventive, you know, you don't need a monster drill press. My first drill press was a monster. You don't, you can need a small, a small tabletop, um, drill presses perfectly fine um i most of my room was for the grinders but um you know you can make it happen you just got to be a little bit creative mm. and and try to hang as much as you can because i think as soon as you put down some sort of horizontal space whether the you know desktops or whatever it's just going to be full of stuff very very quickly so i think if you've got a small area try to keep it as tidy sure. as possible so everything has its correct space to be in and and to quote my sister who used to give me this advice she had an awesome shop don't shit it up with crap that's that's her suggestion <laughs> don't shit it up with crap uh one last thing i would maybe add if you have the abil ability to is maybe add a lean to kind of covered area on the outside that maybe you could you know, if you're doing any kind of angle grinding and stuff like that, you can just kind of walk it outside and do that kind of just a, I don't know, create That's more kind of dirty space. Definitely. To work in. Definitely good unless you got neighbors. Yes, that's, that's true. why I wasn't able to do any blacksmithing in my in my shed because the neighbors would, would be like, hey, what are you doing? You know, like, hey, what are you doing? You Stop that. Say, yeah, I don't want you coming over and say hello. Please, I'm back <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got Blue Blah 32. It says, hey, cuties, heat treatment for my first blade, which is 15N20, and the edge of the blade looked like a fucking snail tail. Mm. So I hologrammed the blade and obviously took it too thin, 
and he asks, how thin do you guys take your blades before heat treat to avoid this? Or do you do most of your grinding after heat treat? Right. I, I think we've got different answers for yeah, this, sure. the three of us. I, I do a bit of grind, primary grinding before heat treat. And, um, you know, I've taken it as narrow as 20 thousandths at the edge without any warpage. But just below, it's such a, a thin line that you're walking there that, um, you know, you go just a little bit too narrow in one spot and it's, and maybe it's good the rest of the edge. It's going to walk and it's going to do, it's going to do some wiggling. I usually try to keep it around uh, dimes thickness, which is around 50 thousandths of an inch um, because it just gives you that little bit of buffer area. And it also accounts for any kind of decarb that you might be experiencing through the heat treat process, especially if you're not wrapping the knife in foil, uh, any kind of heat treating steel foil or tool wrap or anything like that. Um, you're going to have some sort of decarb. And especially if it's Damascus, you're going to want to kind of account for that because when you go to finish out the blade there i've had this happen to me before where it looks like everything is great and clean um and you've just gotten barely you've just cleaned off like the schmutz but the problem is that below the schmutz there's still a little bit of decarb and you could get all the way finished ground and everything handle assembled and everything and then you go to etch the blade and you see these like blotchy clouds of some weird weirdness and basically that's the decarb you have you just haven't gotten below it and then you got to get back in there and grind that back out um and it's a big pain so try to account for especially if you're doing damascus uh to, to account for that buffer area but um yeah that's what i got i agree i go thickness of a dime um if it, it depends on the stock if i'm if, like uh uh it depends on the size like i don't like if I'm if I'm stock removing uh, eighth inch, I always take material off. Uh, but if I go three thirty seconds and sixteenth, I leave it full. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I don't gain a lot by taking material off that. I don't want to. I want to make it very easy to to take, you know, keep straight when I'm especially plate quenching. I get very gun shy when it comes to going super 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 thin before heat treatment. I'm not, I'm really like hesitant to to walk in any problems doesn't there's no gain that you know especially if it's like if it turns into a snail tail Mm. all of my blades are pretty thin so i'm basically using 2.3 millimeter stock for most of the stuff i'm doing and whether it's a high carbon blade or a stainless blade i won't do any grinding until after heat treat um Obvious reasons with the stainless, because if I'm plate quenching, if there's a grind in there, you 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 know it needs to be perfectly even to get a good a good sort of um, to bring that heat out quickly. Um, but no, I do everything after after heat treat. Um, I generally do things in quite big batches, and if 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 I was doing sort of grinds beforehand and I was getting some warps, I'd probably spend a lot of time trying to fix that on you know one or two blades out of a big batch, and it would just be a real time suck for me. So. I just do everything in the same way. Everything is straight after the heat treat. Nice. I actually just uh, ground a fully hardened blade from full thickness uh, for the first time, really, kind of ever. <laughs> and uh, it, it was the blade thickness was probably around uh, two hundred thousandths of an inch, uh, which sorry, I'm just going to do a quick math. Is about five millimeters. And it wasn't hor- It wasn't the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, that's for sure. Um, 
So I think, you know, if, if grinding from full thickness is what you got to do, like, as long as you got the right abrasives, combat abrasives, pow, pow, uh, you know, that's not going to be that big of a problem, especially if it's going to help keep your blade straight. And that's one less thing that you have to battle in the process of building your knife. Yeah. Take into account that decarb. And if you're forging a blade, you don't want to forge that edge too thin and you're going to have to pull out some big old dents, you know? Oh, yeah. I've definitely forged a little too close. But you know, once you've done your um, your actual grinding, whether you know after heat treating, you've done your grinding, you're still gonna have a lot of hand sanding to do. And the best way to get your hand sanding done is to use Rhinoet. The three of us use Rhinoet. It's the best stuff for hand sanding. Made by Indasa USA. They're on Instagram, Indasa USA. Go say hi to them. But they do. It's it's just a time saver. And what saves time saves money. But there is a way to save a bit more money. If you go to Texas Farrier Supply and use the promo code KNIFETALK10, you'll get 10% off all of your Rhino Wet. And they've got all the grades there. They've, they just posted a picture this week. And they've got all the stock in. So head on over to Texas Farrier Supply, pick up some Rhino Wet, and make sure you're using the promo code KNIFETALK10. Pretty nice. slick right there. That was a really good read. Uh, this next one comes from our buddy, Mr. Josh Scott Knives. He said, what's up, KTP? Uh, do you guys do any... Oh, what, Morocco, Morocco, do the oh. voice. Come on. I, I don't know if I can do the voice. <laughs> do I need to pass it what's off to up, you, Craig? What's up, KTP? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I feel like he every time he says what's up, I'm waiting for him to say fuckers. Yeah, what's up, fuckers? Well, well, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, so he asks, do you guys do any useless or voodoo-type shit during your process? Uh, something that might not actually help, but you feel like it needs to be done every time. I quench facing true, <laughs> true north because I read it helps keep shit straight. Josh Scott, knives out. He's fucking, he's fucking with us there, definitely. Sure. Do you see that picture of him with uh, Jason Momoa? Yeah. Did you see his video he posted about kind of kind of following that up? Mm. Good uh, he dude. just yeah. Have you did yeah. you notice the size difference between the two of them? Jo uh, Jason's a pretty big dude, right? He's a giant. He's a huge human being. Did did you happen to compare their eyeball size? <laughs> well, it's a little bit disproportionate to what you think it would be. And Jason's always got his eyes kind of squinted. Mm -hmm. Clothes, mm -hmm. I feel like. Okay, okay, Josh. Well, there you go. Bigger. <laughs> Just giving Josh the benefit of the doubt. Josh might have bigger eyeballs than Jason Momoa. All right. Oh man, his wife was stoked though. Did you see how stoked she was? I think everyone. I, mean, I don't blame her. To see, I don't. I think everyone's stoked <laughs> to see Aquaman. Congratulations, yeah. Josh. You did a good job. We're with you. So, you guys do any nonsense? Some voodoo type I, shit. Well, I mean, you know. No. I don't have any rituals as such, but I find myself doing certain things. When I'm grinding, I grind my teeth as I'm grinding. Oh, my God, I'm really? Like, what, am I, what the hell am I doing? It's like a terrible jaw by the end of the day if I've got Yikes. a full day grinding. Um, but, yeah, no rituals or anything like that at all, no. I usually say, well, here goes nothing. Or I'll say something like, don't fuck this one up. Or you will know, <laughs> say something like, oh, this is, here it is. Nope, this is it. You know, I'll not, I might not say it out loud, but... Uh, Oh, I do. You know what? You know what? One of those things might be. It might be the tapping of the hammer on an anvil. It might be when you do that kind of rhythmic tapping, where you you know you're forging and then you hit a couple times. That might be some bullshit. 
I was mm-hmm. told that that was meant to be when you when you're forging with your hammer and then you hit you know you took a couple strokes and you hit the anvil, that was meant to keep. Hoffy told me that's the meant to keep you in rhythm. But a lot, some people right. do that just because they think that's the thing to do. But I don't. I, I don't want to hear really it in the Hoffy voice. I don't have the Hoffy voice. Hey, what you the know, fuck Hoffie. are you doing? <laughs> this is the bullshit. Oh, stop with the bullshit. Josh Scott, your eyes are too big. What's wrong with your eyes? <laughs> so think... no lucky pants for heat treat or anything like that at all. Um, lucky pants. Wait, pants or pans? Pants. Oh. Pants. As as in as in uh, the, the British way, pants as in underwear. Lucky underwear. Oh, okay. heat treat. Is that what you guys do? Well, I'm just wondering. Some people have lucky pants for certain yeah. things. Whether heat treat requires lucky pants, maybe. No, I don't. I don't do anything foolish except for I do talk to myself and like, all right, well, don't fuck this one up. But that's about it. it doesn't really help. I mean, it doesn't help. I mean, but... all right. Then I think we've covered Josh's question. Congratulations, Josh Scott. Nice. We're with you. All right. So the next one comes from our other buddy, Steve Pellegrino, Pellegrino Cutlery. Hey, Mareko, can I ask you a question? It's cheeky oh, that he only asked you, but fine. Uh, what is Woots exactly, and what about it makes such an aggressive cutting edge? Uh, okay, so I'm not the Woots expert, uh, but Woots is crucible steel. So this means it's been um, melted down in kind of a little clay cup, basically, in a really high-temperature forge. Uh, the forges. Uh, the forge has to get up to around 3,000 degrees to be able to melt the material down like this. And uh, my sh- former shopmate, Peter Swarsbert, if you're not following him on Instagram, go do it now. He is, uh, to me, he is one of the leading experts in the country. He's been doing this for 20 years now, making his own crucible uh, steels and woots. Um, crucible steel and woots is kind of interchangeable because realistically crucible steel was being made all over the place uh it's being made in russia and indonesia and in persia and i'm sure plenty of other places uh, japanese were kind of doing a some not necessarily exact same thing but they were making a bloom steel um called tamahagane and tataras but basically so they melt it down into in this clay cup becomes this big metal ingot it looks like a a shot put almost with a flat side um and then they carefully heat it back up after it's solidified and then they forge it out into a bar and and um and then they forge knives and swords and all kinds of stuff out of it uh even armor i've seen um what gives it an aggressive edge is that it has a high carbon content as well as um like alloying elements, uh, especially carbide forming elements, like sometimes tungsten, but usually what's what Woots is most popular for is for the vanadium carbides. And those vanadium carbides, uh, especially with a high carbon content, you know, not all of that carbon is going to be trapped in solution. So it becomes, it forms these carbides. And these carbides are extra hard material that's trapped within the iron matrix along with the rest of or i guess the martin site with the with the rest of the carbon and iron and everything else that's in there um i think i heard something about like carbides being something like 90 rockwell um so considerably harder um than the rest of this you know the the martin site and so that's kind of what really makes things kind of bitey and, and toothy and, and very wear resistant. 
um, at least with more modern kind of crucible steels because we have the ability to properly harden the material versus um, back in the day they didn't necessarily have that ability to harden it and so they uh, you know antique uh, Woots blades were much sarder, hard, softer saying soft and hard at the same time sarder. Uh anyways they were much softer but they so they really relied at that point on those carbides to do all the cutting but they were because they were softer they were also tough so they weren't necessarily going to break or anything like that and um and which made them a, a a more advanced weapon I guess than than most things that were available at the time. But it is the the extra carbides ultimately that make I think that make a Woots blade that much more aggressive than others. Well, Steve, you picked the right guy. That was the, the <laughs> I was making jokes before, but that's about as good an answer as you're gonna get. Oh yeah. All right. Let's do let's do one more before sure. we get some tips. This one is from Emil GNR five, and I, I I'm gonna attempt this name Emil. Uh, Jeudrum, I think it's mm, pretty good. Jeudrum, something like that. Hey man, let me ask you a question. Can you guys give some tips on polishing and buffing? What kind of wheels and compounds for different materials? How much um, polishing and buffing do you do with wheels, guys? Not a lot anymore. I've tried to get away from using my buffing machine as much as possible. I do use the buffer, not a lot, but actually, <clears throat> I found out through, I guess through combat abrasives they started selling um buffing wheels for kydex and i i heard about it through our friend uh, andreas escalani um basically it's a different style of of uh uh wheel and then it's a different color compound it's like almost like a violet compound and it's for cleaning up your kydex and i got it from them and i actually use that for the i change out for the kydex uh, buffing and that's and, that, and then I also use a different a wheel for uh, my Dremel uh, so I can kind of get into weird spots but I do use the buffer for that and then um, I have a regular I have a regular I have two other buffing wheels I have one that I've used uh, green rouge on a green rouge that's a stupid green compound what a dummy I use uh, the green compound for for getting a mirror um, on the cutting edge and then I have um, just a uh, <clears throat> clean one that I use for when I hit the handle up with the when it, when I wax it. So I, I mm. it's a, it's just a motor with a with, I got one of those arbors. You can get an arbor um, that puts the spindle on your regular motor. I mean, those are pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, yeah. I got one of those. I love it. Yeah, I I do quite a bit of. Buffing. Um, so after hand sanding, everything seems to be quite so very sort of matte um, and not reflective, you know. So um, I use buffing wheels for my steels and for my uh, handles. So I, I keep them completely separate. So I have three wheels for steel and three wheels for um, the handles. So the roughest one is, I think they call it sisal. So it, oh, it's sisal, really, yeah. It, Sisal, that's the one. So they, they stitch it together really tight so it hasn't got much give in it. So that's the first one. I generally use a grey compound with that. The second one is like a stitched cotton, so it's a bit looser, and I'll use a green compound with that. And then the last wheel doesn't have any stitching at all. It's super, super soft, and this is the dangerous one because this one's really grabby, and it'll grab hold of something. You need to be very careful with this one, and I use a a pink compound with that. Nice. And I do exactly the same for the wood. So I... Uh, 
separate set of wheels for the uh, the wood and using the same compounds again. Um, and I just think it gives it, it, it still keeps that sort of matte satiny um, finish, but it just gives it just a little bit of sparkle. It makes it look super, super clean. And obviously for the for the woods, if you're using any sort of wax before using these compounds, it really, it really brings them to a shine as well. Um, but I, I keep these clean. So I'd say probably about once a week, I, I wash these. I put them... My wife will kill me through the through the uh, dishwasher. <laughs> really? <laughs> so Tasty. I put them in a in a, in an old um, pillowcase. Um, so I keep them separate. So I'll have two pillowcases: one for the one for the steel, one for the one with wood. So they're never sort of together, um, and they clean in there. So they're not directly um, out in the steam and such. They are, they have got a bit of protection from this from the pillowcase. Um, and I've had the same uh, buffing wheels for probably two years now. And each time they come out fluffy and they're they're good they as good as new each time. So yeah, it's it's not much of a an expense at all. They're cheap to buy, but they're cheap to maintain. And um yeah, just make sure you don't use the ones that you're using on steel for your wood as well, because it'll just mess things up. Same right thing out. as your abrasive belts. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <clears throat> this one comes from Chef Field Forge. If you brewed a beer for yourself, what style would you brew and what would you name it? Uh-huh. And, you, and one of us I, actually does brew beer. I do, I do. Actually, here in the shop, I don't, the brewing's not in the shop, but I've got my tap in the shop, so I've got a a fridge with a tap on the outside for Friday Friday afternoons only. Um, and I generally like a sort of West Coast IPA, um, something really hoppy oh. and and fresh. Um, and I just love the smell when you're making it as well with all those hops, you know, really sort of citrusy. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't call them names really. Um, I, I use a, an app called, oh, what's it called? <sighs> Brew Father or something like that. And it's, it's got lots of recipes on online, you know, and they generally got a name already. So I just take these recipes or if there's a, a shop bought beer that I really like, I'll go online and see if I can find their recipe. You wouldn't call it somebody generally hop knives. I mean, Jesus Christ, just take off the sea, oh, God damn it. What, geez, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I should be. I mean, <laughs> chop and hop. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, some sort of West Coast IPA would be my favorite. What about you, Mareko? Uh I think, you know, West Coast IPAs are probably one of my favorites too. But one, one of the most unique beers I had was a, a friend was homebrewing and he actually, he accidentally over kind of, part, part of the first part he had to do before building up the wart is uh, toasting kind of like the barley and stuff and he let it go a little too far and he was worried that he burned them. But what ended up happening is it had this kind of, almost kind of like a peat, like a scotch peaty hmm. kind of quality to it and almost Smokiness. smoky kind of campfire and I was like, holy fuck. I know you did this by accident, but this is awesome because all this nostalgia from going camping and campfires and stuff like that from growing up uh, just floods my brain every time I took a sip of it. And um, and so some sort of, I don't know, I can't even remember what kind of beer it was. It might have just been like an amber or something like that. Um, but it was it was super delicious. And uh, I don't know what I'd call it, maybe Buzzsaw or something like that. Kind of Buzzsaw, like, that's a good, that's a, that's a, that's a name that's going to sell off the... Buzzsaw, right? Buzz, yeah, Buzzsaw like Smoky Peat Amber Ale. That's you know what? Let's do it. That is going to fly off the shelves. That's a na- <laughs> that's a good name, Buzzsaw. There might there might already be a Buzzsaw. Ah, out there, fuck but... them. We're doing Buzzsaw. <laughs> <laughs> nah, don't worry about them. I I've become friends with uh, the owner of 
Captain Lawrence, which is the, one of the biggest small breweries in the in the Hudson Valley. It's, this guy's just a good dude. And I usually buy fresh Chester beer, but recently I've been going to this beer store and been getting um, these New England IPAs. They're just NEPA, N-E-I-P-A, and they're they're mm. they're very cloudy. Um, and they're very milkshakey. Some of they're them, very, they? the ones that he makes, he makes two, one, one's called powder dreams and one's called Citra, Citra. I think it is Citra IPA. They are fucking delicious. And, and I even saw him uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm going to make him a couple knives, one for the brewery and one for, for him. And, uh, I was saying, God damn it. Like those Citra, I, those, um, Nipa beers are on, those new England IPAs are all delicious. And he goes, yeah, I said, I'd never even heard of him. He goes, yeah, me too. After, you know, two years ago, I'd never even heard of him again. So I would totally make a, I mean, a new England IPA. I haven't been drinking beer in a while. I'm trying to drop a couple pounds and I would definitely name it super quench. Oh, nice. Well, that's what you do with the, with the hammers. They put a little bit of extra brine in their, in their water when they're quenching a little super bit of whatever quench. they call it super quench. Nice, good name, good name. But that that citra is that's the type of hop. It's a really sort of citrusy, fresh hop. You'd, and that's what those those New England IPAs would th- use a lot. This of, yeah. this Powder Dreams is like it literally is a delicious. I mean, it is delicious. It's delicious. I can't get over it. I can't, I'm not supposed to drink any beer. I'm drinking water. <laughs> yeah, right. I, it's true. I got a thing <laughs> coming up. I got a, I got a couple things coming up that I can't talk about. But I got a couple things. Can, can we can we talk about your big thing? Are we allowed to? If you want, do you if you want. We can. I uh, I haven't really been. To- I, I'm gonna be. You know, I usually say I'm vague and I don't tell anything. But I, I uh, over before Christmas, I uh, I wrote a TV series, and I was asked by a production company to write um, an idea for a TV show. And this is like a rom com. <clears throat> no, it's is not, it? You know, no, <laughs> God damn you! No, for sure it is not a rom com, and. Um, the it's a customer of mine who says if you could consider yourself in the tv show what would you write and i was like and the funny thing was i didn't know he was a tv guy and um I, he says if you could be on a tv show what would it be and i'm like i wouldn't be on one of those motherfucking tv shows and he goes why not i say because all those shows are bullshit and his wife turns to me and he goes she says my husband makes tv shows and i'm like oh so you know you know no offense <laughs> but you know like come on you know you know i'm right and he's and he we were talking for a while and then he says well listen <laughs> When you have the chance, he spent the he spent the morning with me in the shop, and I kind of showed him stuff around. And we talked. And he's like, when "You have the chance. If you ever decide you want to, you know, if you could imagine writing a show, write the show." And so I was sick before. I think it was right after Thanksgiving and before Christmas, and I was so crazy being in the house. And I wanted to be productive. I was like, "All right, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna write it. I'm gonna write the show." And I wrote the show. I sent it to him. He's like, well, thanks. I'm on vacation, and but when I get back, you know, after Christmas, I'll get a hold of you. Well, I got an email on Monday, and I, I thought I didn't think about it, and I didn't really think about it. And he he sent me an email saying we pitched the show to a big network, and they're interested. So we're now in getting ready for the second meeting. Um, they kind of put together, you know, I put together pictures and fleshed a little bit more out, and they're going to go pitch this to the for the second meeting. So that's that's where we're at. I'm not, right. I'm just, I'm not really talking about it because it's like, I, I honestly, you know, the, I, the concept is, is you just, you get ready for the next meeting. You don't, you don't think about the whole mm-hmm. picture. So I just, you know, if it happens, sure. it happens. If it doesn't happen, I got bitter. I got other things to do. So I'm one, once I got the email and said, all right, hell, well, no more carbs and beer for me. I got to pull it together. <laughs> she got me this, I, you know, she got me this goddamn thing. This is hilarious. She's hilarious. My wife, my wife is great. She got this thing that you put, you kind of roll. I have, 
the reason why people think I look like um, Vince Vaughn, it's it's because we both have high foreheads and I have giant bags under my eyes. So she got this roller that you roll under your eye, eye eyelids to kind of like your eye your eye bags to kind of reduce the eye bags. I was like, what the fuck is this? And she goes, oh, just, you know, just rub it under your eyes. I'm like, what is that for? She's like, eh, maybe it'll help your eye, your eye bags. I'm like, all right, fine. I'm rolling that under my eyes. Oh, Here we geez. are. You'll be getting your eyebrows done next and all. No, 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 no. I'm gonna have to work. You know, I'm gonna. Have to, my hands, by the way, are like. I mean, my finger, my fingers are a fucking disgrace. So I, I'm like, I gotta like start to moisturize my hands and you know. Which which brings us on nicely to your Epicurious video. Uh, so oh you, you it's hit four million views this week. As, as yeah, you they just we just hit four million views. Kind of. Crazy. But I went back just to have a look at some of those comments because they make me laugh okay. every time. And uh, they're all obsessed about your hands. But there's one particular favourite. And it's just like, oh, does he touch his wife with those hands? They're disgusting. <laughs> and they don't even say disgusting. They spell it all wrong. It's almost in capitals. And it, it's just like, I can imagine this person Dude, writing it. This makes me laugh every commenting. time. I wish... Slurring in their text. I wish I, wish <laughs> I was as brave and as fearless as uh, Dies in Every Film is. Dies in every film goes after every one of those comments. I can't, I can't get involved with that. But it is hilarious that <laughs> the what were the funny ones that I look like uh, homeless Chris Pratt or something like that. that was yeah, funny. yeah, <laughs> plenty of yeah. It's, it's very, very funny. But even now, there's comments like every day. People you you go look at the comments. comments. Well, why don't you read some of them? News just in. We've got some comments. Hagfan seven eighty nine says. Being a knife expert, you'd think you'd know how to use a razor for the video, just to look a little bit more professional. I, Jeez. You know what? You know what? I tell you, you want to be honest, honest, is I was not feeling very good about myself and my double chin. So I specifically didn't. I feel like if I shave real tight, I end up looking like a, a fat uh, ex. My, 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 my one side of my family all have big, you know, like double chins. So I... You're right, but I thought I looked better that way. I took a shot. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. Cougar Poacher. Yeah. yeah obviously classy with the name, yeah. like Cougar Poacher. Of course, especially like Hagfag. What was Hag? What, 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 Hagfag. Yeah, right, great. <laughs> I trust this man's opinion because his fingers look like you got the third base with a pencil sharpener. <laughs> that's a good one. Dude, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's third base with the pencil sharpener is a good one. Now they look people, like, yeah. There's lots of comments on that from people there. They couldn't stop laughing. Is it, that's a good should, one. Go ahead. That's, the, expert, that's a good one. People saying, should a knife expert be more skilled at avoiding cutting up his hands? And somebody yeah. replied saying, a master has failed more times than a beginner has tried. I like that. Who, mm-hmm. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, is that a, for me like or against me? That's for you. That's saying, oh, you, you okay. know, a master does it many times and a beginner hasn't even All tried right. it. I think it's good. Uh, third base of the pencil sharpener is fantastic. That guy, he should be writing the TV show. That's a good line. Third base. <laughs> Concrete with, Angel. Third base um, the pencil sharpener. Concrete Angel says, £3,100 for, $3, for a knife. I hope they gave it to him afterwards. He seems to love it a lot. It would make him so happy. <laughs> <laughs> no prices went out the window, right, Racco? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that that was go. nice of them to say that. Keep going. They like, got the, a couple they more. like the slightly stiff six-inch boner. They like, they like you saying that a lot. I didn't say boner. Mm, a slightly stiff six-inch boner is, is enough. Uh, That's what people are quoting. That's funny. Six or seven inches is all you really need for boning. Yeah. Here's <laughs> a nice one. Miranda C., 
Um, she looks quite cute as well. Why is this guy the coolest person ever? God damn, she says. Yeah, girl. We'll leave, we'll leave it at that. Miranda's oh, a dude. Boy. It's fine. Fine. <laughs> hey, Miranda, I got third base for the pencil sharpener. Fuck, that's a good line. God damn, that's a good line. There you go. Third base for the pencil. Right then. Hey, you. You know what you should do? The first thing you should do is, if you're looking for a grinder, we've got a recommendation for you. It's the grinder that I use. It's from Clarix Metalworks. Um, so I've got their BG Pro version 2, um, but it's just actually had a refresh. Um, so it's still called the V2, but it, it's completely new. So it's got a completely cast aluminium body now, which is really nice. And it still comes in the two versions. So you can either have the 1.5-inch um, gap for your tool arms or the 30 millimeter. So depending on whether you're European or the U.S., because they ship to the U.S., they ship to Europe. They're made in Bulgaria, but they ship all over the world. Um, so as well as having the new cast aluminium body, they've got a, a forward reverse switch as well. And they just posted up a video this week. So I've seen lots of people using their forward and reverse, but every time the tracking seems to be out. And in this video, the tracking just stays perfect every time. So they're proper quality machines, um, really flexible. You can switch them up so they're horizontal as well. Very, very well made and very, very affordable. So go take a look at clericsmetalworks.com. And I'm hoping for next week, hoping we'll have some news about a discount for you as well. Ooh, very cool. So let's get on with some uh, listener tips. The first one is from Michael C. Barr. And I want to thank Michael because he bought one of my knives this week. Um, hey, cuties, you know what you should do? This may be a standard practice, but I haven't seen it before, so I'm claiming I invented it, is when making a sire, use three layers and choose a soft wood for the middle layer. This allows you to create a perfect outline for your blade to fit snugly into, protects the edge from damage, and he uses popular, but balsa wood is also another good option. Loves the podcast. Uh, best thing he's had in his ears all week. There you go. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I will say that that, is, <laughs> that has been around since medieval times, uh, right. especially with leather wrap sword sheaths. Um, Three-piece was always the easiest construction to do, especially when they're doing like the the – I think they were doing some sort of like lanolin or something on the inside of the sheath. Um but it is a great way to make sayas. It's very good. I do love these tips. That's the, we that's generally the, uh, just piss all over them. That's the uh, that's what the uh, maybe that's what the uh, Zodiac Killer did. Put a little. I wonder how his how he did his saya. Sure. We got very serious, didn't we? Well, very, I mean, very serious. You know, we don't know this guy. We could have made. You know, I would have liked to have made a couple jokes, but you know, it didn't seem appropriate at the time. <laughs> The next one comes from uh, Ann Suz Forge. Hey, you wonderful bastards. I have a tip for some newbies. If you can't afford to take classes, uh, join your local blacksmithing guild. It's a great way to pick up huge wealth of information. In my experience, the local smiths are more than willing to help and uh, maybe even let you use their shop. Membership dues vary, but rarely exceed 50 bucks a year, which makes them an inexpensive way to get hands on it. You know, uh, experience. Thanks, Nate. All right. I'd like to just uh, pipe in with a tip that I got because um, it's a Kydex tip. I uh, One of my uh, customers uh, is a professional chef, and they shove their Kydex sheaths in the professional dishwasher, which runs hotter than your home dishwasher. Okay. It fucked the whole thing up. It turned it into like a it, – it completely – it was so hot – because Kydex uh, starts to get soft. I mean, I, when I'm doing my Kydex, it's easy 300 degrees. So be careful when you're putting Kydex sheaths in a dishwasher. If it's running too hot, it's going to deform the whole thing and ruin it. Yikes. Cool. 
I'm making them new ones. I, we sent him a message saying, send them to me. I'll send your knives. I'll, I'll redo them. But yeah. we didn't know. We had no idea. First time. <clears throat> All right, we got one from an actual chemist. Yeah. Uh, it's This is from Stan Sneijer. I don't know. Sne- Sounds pretty good to something, me. Something like that, yeah. Uh, anyways, he says, uh, I'm an actual chemist. Okay, actually a student right now. And I think I can answer the question about etching you asked in your last podcast. Craig is right to think your etching isn't dangerous anymore after neutralizing. However, the oxides that are formed using gun blue uh, might not entirely be iron oxide, but could be different be a different chemical that when it comes in contact with food might come off and slightly be slightly toxic especially when using stainless steel you really really don't want to eat chromium chromium salts uh, as they could cause any number of problems alternatively uh, yeah alternatively using hot acids might work but be sure not to use an extremely potent oxidizing acid vinegar and ferric chloric acid sound fine hope to have answered it i hope to have answered it clearly that's what he says all right i'll get i'll give him a b plus for that that chemistry student yeah all good so he's basically referring to what we talked about last week with um using like gun blue and stuff on knives and we were saying you know when you uh neutralize it surely it's safe but uh, apparently not Who'd have thought? Well, especially it sounds like especially if there's still uh, oxides on there that could potentially uh, basically come off of the blade and into into the food and then be ingested. Yeah, that sounds like a definitely a problem. Yep. Right. Let's do some showcases. Community showcase. All right. This is the time where we give a little love to people we're looking at. We think maybe you should be looking at Craig. Who do you got? Well, I can't believe we haven't done them. It's, so it's it's a collective, I suppose. So um, Blenheim Forge, um, they're based in the UK, um, London area. They um, fully forged culinary blades. Beautiful, beautiful work. Very sort of traditional looking. Just extremely beautiful. But um, I was surprised looking on their website how affordable their work is as well. Because it's stunning. It's, it's super, super nice. Um, I think it's three or four guys, and they've got one of those old sort of um, an under a bridge kind of thing, you know, one of those tunnels. Uh, they've got that. They're shopping one of those spaces. Um, beautiful, beautiful work, and they've got some lovely videos of what they do as well. They have like documentaries made about what they do. So go take a look about Blenheim Forge. Um, they're Blenheim Forge on Instagram, um, and also BlenheimForge.com. Go take a look at their culinary knives. They have a nice young lady who works there, too, who she's one of the uh, bladesmiths, and I met her at, at the Blade Show. I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Mm-hmm. But they listen to the podcast. They're, they're good people. I actually saw I saw one of their knives at uh, uh, Florentine Kitchen Knives. Tomer had one of his knives, and it was pretty sweet. They're good dudes. They're really good dudes. They, they listen to the podcast. They're, they're very... I think Tomer spent some time there with them as well, in, in the shop with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, really, really, really nice work. Traditional looking stuff. Super, very... super people, too. Yeah, and very affordable, they work. So go, go take a look. What do you got, Mareko? Oh, I was just going to add really quick. Uh, I believe her name is Emily. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Emily. Yeah, she's very... Uh, Super both nice. Her and James were there at the show. Uh, yeah, very cool people. Very nice to meet them. Yeah. Good, um, Good job. 
I'm actually I I don't have somebody right now. Do you do you want to go, Jeff? And I can yes, find somebody. I'm actually going to do someone in your neighborhood. I'm not sure we did this before, but Dan Bidinger of Bidinger Knives. He's uh, makes beautiful knives. Uh, he's in Sequim, Washington. Uh, he just put up this knife that was looks like I mean they're they're great. He does these uh, outdoor knives and he does fillet knives and hunting knives and. He doesn't have a lot of followers, and he's a really he does a lot of really great stuff. And um, Bidinger, B I D I N G E R knives. He, uh, I said, uh, he on his last one, I said, um, I said, dang on on this post, and he, I don't know if he thought that that was like a compliment or not. I had to like get back and say, yeah, no, 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 that, that's a good dang. I gave you a good dang right there. Nice. He is a very good guy. I actually just met him at Blade Show. Uh, back in October, and when you were talking about buffing handles before, or buffing blades in general, his handle work, he finished those out on a buffer, and he gets an astonishing finish on his, especially his like G10 and Micartas and stuff like that. It absolutely blows my mind, and so yeah, he's definitely worth a follow. Awesome. Uh, I want to give. Shoot, man, I'm really struggling right now. I feel like I've done a, a, I can't think of anybody new. So to, do it to, 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 to someone again. This well, is, actually, this you is, know what? You know, I'm gonna give some love to my buddy, uh, Lorian Arnold. He's actually out of Vancouver, Washington. He is a designer of knives and a heavy user. He actually, he's a, uh, he does a lot of outdoor trail clearing. And he works with Nathan Carruthers, who is a machinist. He's known as Nathan the Machinist, I think, on Instagram as well as on forums. And they design these insane heavy-use knives that get out and really get put to some serious use in clearing these trails. Um, but I love his Instagram feed. You know, he does a, he does his, a lot of downhill mountain biking, and those are the kind of trails he's clearing. Um, and he's always got his pup with him, and um, and he, the knives that he designs are actually really, really, really cool knives. And so, and, and he's got an extensive collection. He uses all kinds of stuff. He's got stuff from I think Jason Knight as well as Nathan, all kind uh, Salem Straub. So yeah, give him a follow, Lorian Design, on oh, Instagram. Cool. Nice, nice. Okay. We got beef. There he is, Ben Snur. Just just was on Forge and Fire. Where were you, Ben? How how did he do on the show? I don't think he I don't think he won, but he gave him hell. Yeah, great. Guy. I I don't think winning is is the thing there, is that because we've seen some great people on there who haven't won. So I don't, sure. I don't think that's. Uh... Yeah, that's yeah. What what can you do? Great guy. What can you do? What Solid can you do? guy. So beefs. And you can you can take classes with him. Make a hammer out of Doghouse Forge, Ben Snur. There you go. Beefs, that time of the, the show where we come to an end and where we, what grinds our gears this week, what really winds us up. Um, and mine is I've had some um, truly like surprisingly amazing messages from people this week. And I've had a couple of phone calls, a couple of DMs, emails and so on um, about the uh, sustainable knife project that I did. And we, we sold the knives this week and, that, and it, lots of people congratulating me and dozens and dozens of it. And it's just been really, really nice. I had one email from one person, and I know they don't listen to because they're not makers. They're definitely not listening to the show. Um, they're French, but they knew me when I lived in Cardiff. 
which is which is weird. I, I don't know them at all, but they were referencing all the stuff from my past that I've done in the past. And I was just like, oh, right, OK, maybe I know them, but I don't. Um, and they said, you know, they've been following along the emails that I've been sending about this sustainable knife. And they got really excited. And he said, come to launch day. And he clicked on the website and he saw the price. And he said it was disgusting. How dare I? And I'm what? just like, what? So as much as I've had all these amazing, lovely, beautiful emails this week and messages, this one has just stuck in my head. It's the one that I think about when I'm trying to get to sleep. It's the one that I think about first thing in the morning. And it's just, it just, mm. it's just sticking in my head. And I'm just thinking, what was his motivation for that? You know what? I, I mean, regards to price, and I, I don't think it was overly no, priced. No, not it was at a all. Fair price for what they were. And I mean, this guy is obviously not used to you know handmade knives, that kind of thing. But he got out his computer and he decided to send an email. And this was a very lengthy email. And he referenced, oh, wow. you know, previous jobs that I've done before, knife making and stuff, you know, as if he really knew me. And he's like, I really respect you for what you did and all these things. I'm like, OK, great. But then he just gets to the end of the email. And he's just like, and I saw the price. And he was just like, how dare you? It's disgusting. And I'm just like, whoa, easy. That is easy. super, super crazy. What is the... People what is are the, crazy. What's the goal? What's the... What's the What's the benefit of writing it? What are you What are you looking uh, to do? An apology? But this, this this isn't a beef with it. This is a beef with me. How th this one email is just it keeps coming back to me, coming back into my head all the time. And I, mm. so all these lovely messages that I've had from people, but I don't know why I'm fixating on that one where I should just move on and forget it. Forget they it. Got it. And I did. I did, deleted. The, I didn't reply. I just deleted. And but it, it's yeah. Oh, it just I keeps wish coming back yep, to me. I wish you read it. The bastard. The next episode, I wish you'd pull it out of the trash and read it to us. Okay. Okay, I will do. I will. That'd be awesome. I what a douchebag. I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, what's the benefit? What is he hoping that you're going to say, oh, yeah, thank here's the, here's the here's the discount? I mean, your prices yeah. were beyond fine. They weren't crazy I at think, all. I think extremely fair. Super think. fair. Super fair. You can't please everybody, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, my, my beef is with me for letting that oh, to get no, into my that head. Guy. That's you know? that fucking it's... guy. The beef is that asshole who woke up to write you that nasty email. <laughs> fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. What a douchebag. Jesus Christ. A douchebag. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what, have you, what have you got, Mareko? Uh Well, mine's a little, light, little more lighthearted. But, uh, you know, this cold weather and working with metal and and... And woodworking and stuff like that. My hands are starting to look like Jeff's actually a little bit. And <laughs> start with third base with a pencil sharpener. <laughs> exactly. And so, Jesus. you know, you get like a little piece of skin on the edge of your finger. And I'm I'm kind of a picker. And I'm just like, God damn it, oh, get no. out of here. And you start pulling on it. And it just keeps going and going. And all of a your sudden, you're, elbow. ugh, it's the worst. Hang That's nails. what, uh. That's what my uh, Opie from Opie and Anthony used to say. He says, I used to pick, I would pick something, my fingernail would go, I'd pull it all the way up to my elbow. I like that the reference point for bad hands is now Jeff. God, I think that's like an international standard. How dare now. you? How dare you? <laughs> the outrage. The Urban outrage. Dictionary, here it comes. Fine. Look, you, know, you can't beat that. Fine. So How bad? Jeff Bard. Jeez. <laughs> damn. Fine. Nothing to write home about. So, so you picked something and you got this big. You turned yeah, into no, a it's big just, mess. No, it's just my hands are falling apart, and I hate it. It's my nasty. wife got me a tube of shea butter. That stuff's awesome. I use oh, yeah? that at night. It's just like it turns my like my 
my tree bark like skin into something a little bit more manageable. You should try with some so bag bomb. So you put bomb. shea butter on your hands, then you yeah. you got the roller under your yep, eyes. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, and you put your hair up in curlers before you go to bed. Now I too. got a haircut. I got a I got a haircut coming up. One of the best. My barber is the best barber in the Hudson Valley, and I got to like she she gets me in there quick. So I actually put up a. I got a. I got a. I got an appointment coming up. I got a. You know, we'll see. The answer is yes. Like a fresh. Just, just go easy on on the self tan. That's all. Yeah, just no self tanning for me. You know, look. <laughs> I want to see okay. Orange Jeff. No Orange Jeff. <laughs> no Orange Jeff. Well, I mean, fine. There's a meme, kids. <laughs> orange Jeff. That's right. Well, my beef is these fucking. I just found out. I uh, posted a uh, a boning knife, and one of my customers sent me a DM and said, every time I comment that I like your knives, I get a DM from from a knife maker saying, I can make that for you. Mm. So it turns out these guys in, you know, India and Pakistan are now getting a little bit more aggressive in their technique. They're not just, they're, they're, they're looking at people's um, comments and they're fucking sneaking into their DMs and they're trying to poach, poach your customers. So that was a very irritating situation, and um, obviously I said to him, like, well, you got to make sure that you don't don't support that shit. Um, so be on the lookout for these low-down scum that are yeah. trying to poach your customers. That's unacceptable. Did, very, did, you, uh, very. did you figure out who it was and block them? Um, I figured out who it was, and... They don't. Yes, the answer is yes. But it's okay. like it's just coming from these same guys, and you know we've talked about you know every so often after we, you know we blasted blasted one you know and then we had a sure. good time with them. But it it becomes it's too you know fighting fire with fire. I know some of our uh, our listeners are uh, bloodthirsty piranha, and they they're looking for a little bit of meat. But it's just it becomes too much. It's too much work to go back and forth. And Andre Scalani sent me all these videos of you went back and forth and try to bait them into bait them into selling something and try to find their motivation. And I just, it becomes too much. It's just too difficult to do. Another thing is, is uh, one of our listeners, uh, Brian Rakim in France this morning, he sent me a message about it and he wanted to know what the problem was. He had somebody is was impersonating him and he just said, I don't understand why. Anybody would do that. I'm like, well, they're trying to fucking get your customers. So you just got to, I don't know what the, I don't know what Instagram can do. I don't know what these guys can do, but it's like, it is, you've got to be, you've got to be very uh, vigilant. Uh, and then the, the, my secondary beef would be Instagram shadow banned my axe. When I first post, I made a, at last week I said I wanted to make a hatchet and I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. And I made the hatchet and it turned out great. And I posted it and I put axe in the immediate title and I was shadow banned. So I copied and pasted and just took axe out of all of it. So I don't understand how, you know, knife isn't shadow banned, but axe is shadow banned. So mm. it's kind of annoying. Yeah, and I think we can get more and more into that in the future as well, where where you're losing less and less control over our right. social medias. Right. But that that can be a chat another time. One more section before we go. I enjoyed this section so much that, last week. I love that jingle. It makes me think I of think going to the spa beefs, with Jeff. 
Oh, yeah. going to the spa with Jeff. <laughs> fucking love it. God, I get so when I hear the harp, I just immediately kind of decompress. Yeah, I think after the beefs is needed. Finishing the show on negativity isn't good. So, one more time. What is the best possible thing that can happen this week? Whether it's work you've got going at the moment or something personal, what 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 would you like to see happen before we speak again next week? I got Go some ahead, Damascus guys. I'm making. I got to think about it. I got some Damascus I'm making, and that's that's always the funnest part of the job for me. Um, you know, fortunately, I'm I'm pretty good at the rest of it, but the Damascus making and blade forging is always the most fun. And um, that's what I'm really looking for. Actually, after I get off the phone with you guys, I'm uh, I'm headed into the shop, and that's what I'm doing. So, nice. Yeah. Got anything yet, Jeff? Well, I mean, I'm so relaxed after hearing that beautiful music. I uh... God damn, I love that. I'm 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 um I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh. I could just get some work done. I, I I took yesterday off, which was great. It's been, my, my wife's not feeling well, so I was kind of helping her out and helping around the house. And I spent some time with my daughter. That was a lot of fun. We had a, we went because it's a super today is Super Bowl Sunday, so we're going to. I made some nice food yesterday, and I'm going to try to make some nice food tonight. And we're going to just you know watch the Super Bowl, go Chiefs. And um, I'm 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 I've not I'm looking forward to it all. I got I I would be. If in my dream, the only thing I could really hope for is it warms up because I'm getting this cold weather can is mm-hmm. like it's not enjoyable. But um, I'm working on some steak knives. I'm looking forward to. I'm working on a big chef's knife for one of our listeners, and it's got a piece of Damascus from. Uh, the only reason why I made it out of Damascus is because it was uh, Bob Rankin sent me this big chunk of Damascus for Christmas. I'm like, ah, eh, it's the only thing. It's the only big goddamn piece I can get this knife out of kind of hoping to get some forward on that it's really kind of like a crazy looking thing and uh, look I, everything's good especially after listening to the fucking zodiac killer i got i got <laughs> nothing to complain about trust me that's the dream we find the killer that'd be unbelievable can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> you know when you first messaged me and said about there's a chance we're going to get this guy on it's all about the zodiac killer and stuff i had just finished watching the um I think it's on Apple TV, not Netflix. The this program called um, "The Truth Between Us," where it's a podcast. They this woman solves a murder on this podcast, and I was thinking, "Geez, this is like real life playing out on uh, us now." But um, trust me, yeah. In hey, a dr- we didn't do, we didn't solve shit. <laughs> that, no, that I can tell you, <laughs> we did we did uh, we did. There was no uh, nothing at all. Shit. Uh, trust me. My dream. Let me think. I fucking love that. God damn, I love that. Um, I mentioned last week that I could be spending a few weeks in London, and I am. Um, so we're going there for probably three, four weeks initially. Um, so my wife's flying over um, with the with the kids, and I'm um, I'll be driving. So my dream is just to have a nice, easy drive. It's sort of twelve hours oh, door to door. God. And yeah, just a nice, easy that drive. Terrible. Doesn't sound like and a and just a rem- just a reminder, actually, anybody London Way knows of any shop space um, that I could use on weekends, please let me know. There we go. That's a show. That's a show. 
what a, what a strange show that was. We started off with talking about murders and... Uh, Big thanks to yeah. Professor Chris Cunningham, who was super cool to come on. And, uh, you know, thank you for coming on. And hopefully you get a little bit of... P.S., guys. Don't send them the bullshit you send us. Use Do a little <laughs> editing. Don't write LOL. Don't write, don't write your terrible grammar. This is a professor here. Write them something, you know, you're being graded. Don't send us the bullshit you send us. You, please. Yeah, that's the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.